0: Welcome to Brody Sports Talk, my name is Caleb Walgren, and today I'm joined by the one and only Sean Morgan, Travis is out with kids, that's basically how you would describe an injury if it was football, so that's (laughs) what we're going to go with here today.
1: Uh, He was questionable, and then uh, he was ruled as, as being out. One of these days, one of these days, we will have both me and Travis and Caleb all present in the same room
0: to record this, today is not that day. Uh, But because we are all all All-Stars here on the podcast, we're going to go ahead and jump in to some sports discussion. Uh, Speaking of, it was just All-Star Weekend in Chicago. Uh, Just to go over some of the contests, uh, Bam Adebayo won the skills contest. Uh, Definitely was a surpriser there. Uh, Buddy Heald won the three-point contest, which if you are a Sooner, you are probably happy to see that. Or if you're one of those rare fans of the Sacramento Kings, you might have also been happy to see that. Uh, Sacramento Kings, I don't really see anything from them on Twitter. I'm just going to say that. Um, Low presence. And uh, it was a night for the Heatles because Derrick Jones Jr. won the Slam Dunk Contest as well. Mm. Uh, So they got the skills and the Slam Dunk Contest. Um, Just to start with All-Star Saturday Night, uh, what kind of was your, your big takeaway? Just from the weekend overall. Just from Saturday. We'll get to the game in a second because I feel like it deserves its own moment. So I mean,
1: if we're gonna talk about like say the the day overall, it's entertaining. Uh, I think that it definitely captured a lot of people's interest. I mean, there's a bit of controversy, right? A bit of controversy, um, but we can we can chat about that here in a moment. Um, I'm more much more excited about the the game than I think I was about the uh about the festivities leading up to it,
0: which is a surprise in my opinion because the game actually was where the talking points are after this week, but usually it's all about all star Saturday night usually that's what we go home talking about uh you know Nate Robinson dressing up like kryptonite and Doing his thing against Dwight Howard, but uh, oh wait, Dwight Howard was in this year's dunk contest, uh, but he did not win. No, and that he is did not, not. where the controversy he is. He did not because uh, Aaron Gordon should have won the dunk contest. Um, in my opinion, Derek Jones Jr. just did a bunch of dunks between his legs. He's very athletic. He's he's good, but he didn't jump over Taco Fall. No, he didn't. And And if I could jump over Taco Fall, I would do it, and I would totally dunk.
1: (laughs) So the thing that really gets me right, this is the second year in a row that Gordon's been wrong. Um, You know, he announced on Twitter that he's done. Right, He's done no more slam dunk contests. I don't blame the guy, right? I mean, this is an event that he should have won back-to-back, and that has to really be a gut punch especially this year. Um, The dunk was impressive over Taco. It wasn't perfect, right? I mean, but it was impromptu. And the fact that it was as impressive as it was considering the very little prep. No prep. Um, Yeah, he kind of looks like he pushed off his shoulder just a little bit, and he had to duck just slightly. That's still in my mind was the winning dunk, and Dwayne Wade and the other judges. I don't know, I also hate the judging, right? That's probably the biggest thing I think I'm taking away from this, is that the judging for this needs to change. I feel like there's a lot of homerism, and I feel like there's a lot of score inflations. Not every dunk needs to be a 10, but at the same time, you know, you as a judge need to use something that isn 't nine and ten, you need to be a little bit more objective um, i don 't know it 's going to be interesting to see what direction this whole thing goes going forward, but um, I want to also uh, also make a, a shout out uh, so uh, another uh, another poor finisher um, from the uh, from the three point contest Trey Young.
0: Right, I nailed it! <laughs> <laughs> hey, he that made was, more threes yeah. than Damien Lillard. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> <coughs> 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 Sorry, Travis. Throwing you under the bus there. Uh, hey, he's not here to
1: defend himself. It's okay.
0: Anyway, let's get to the game. Uh, I found it to be quite enjoyable. Um, so, so, for those of you who are unfamiliar they played to a target score in the fourth quarter instead of having a full 12 minutes. And it was probably some of the best basketball that I have seen in an All-Star game, I'm going to just say ever. In part because teams knew that they couldn't just go and try to score as much as they could every time. It was, oh shoot, we're getting close to the target score. And all of a sudden, you know, Team LeBron was within three. Everyone's out at the three-point line on everyone. You got No one's getting an inch of space. Then, you know, a few possessions later, they go, oh, let's take the two. Let's, you know, drove in, no one's guarding inside. Got the easy two. Uh, unfortunately, Team Giannis just didn't have an answer on the other end either because, I mean, Team LeBron had LeBron and Kawhi on the floor, and that is very difficult to deal it with. It is,
1: it is. I like this. I mean, there are so many different ways of looking at an all-star game across sports. For me, the NBA has done an excellent job at making their all-star game the perennial all-star game. I really want to see this format again. Seeing defense played in the all-star game, right, that's great. It's, It's nice to see, you know both halves of the ball being uh, being utilized. Um, I also really loved the honoring of Kobe Bryant. Um, you could sense from the players, from the presentation, um, Kobe was everywhere. And emotions were running high throughout. Uh, it was just a really special, special weekend, I think, <coughs> for NBA basketball.
0: Uh, let's go to the other big event that was supposed to be on the weekend and ended up being on Monday, uh, the Daytona 500. Um, I'm going to go ahead and dub him as Daytona Denny. Uh, Denny Hamlin won again, uh, back-to-back, fourth driver ever to win back-to-back Daytona 500s. And third in five years, uh, 16, 19, and 20 being the years. Is Denny Hamlin going to be one of the most recognized drivers because of this not necessarily it, like. I mean in general I feel like we're getting a bit of a passing of the torch before you know five years ago I probably would have said people knew Tony Stewart, Jimmy Johnson uh, but I feel like Denny Hamlin just from the nature of he's won the biggest race he's got to be known as one of the more prominent drivers
1: Yeah, um, I mean, he's in pretty rare company, um, having won three or more Daytonas. Uh, Everybody else is, I believe, in um, the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Um, He's had a spectacular career, um, was Rookie of the Year 2006. Um, I mean, there's just... NASCAR is kind of a weird, weird sport. I mean, Denny Hamlin's 39, right? Um, Generally speaking, drivers tend to start to fall off in their 40s, Um, start to lack consistency. And I know that NASCAR's done a lot to change up the format to where you can have some really good um, results without having to have the same sort of race longevity um Denny's really good at these fast tracks right Daytona is a very fast track you know he's he's good at it but you know I don't I don't know his closest uh he came to winning a cup was back in 2010 when he finished second I don't think he's ever gonna you you have to win win it all to be considered a great um I I don't know if he'll ever get there um this, this late in the game. Like he's been racing for 15 years. So That's
0: true. Um, the other big thing coming out of the Daytona 500 was the late crash uh, in the NASCAR overtime that sent Ryan Newman upside down. Uh, we didn't hear much of anything. Uh, the latest news, as I uh, just looked, is that he's fully alert and walking around, which is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Um, if you're like me, you remember that it was in the Daytona 500 19 years ago that Dale Sr. hit the wall, and that was it. That's it. Um I was in a hotel room that day, actually.
1: I was traveling. I remember that, um, seeing it on the hotel TV.
0: <laughs> I know that, in general, Dale Sr. was always my favorite, and it's one of those things where... I mean, it was a pretty horrific crash, but you still... Have to wonder if there's some sort of a safety issue for NASCAR. I mean, yes, we want to see them go 200 miles an hour. And even as Travis said going into last week, he watches NASCAR for the wrecks, or he, you know, that's what he wants to see in the highlights. It's tough when that's part of your draw to eliminate it and get everyone greatly safe. Although, in general, it's A lot better to hear that Ryan Newman is fully alert and walking than where we had been as the last couple of days have progressed. No, I agree. Um, Having
1: been someone who grew up really loving NASCAR in the 90s and early 2000s, the things that have changed for the sport safety-wise in the last 20 years have been immense. Since, um, you know, like I think it was like since... The year Earnhardt died, nobody else has died in any of their major touring series. They have made huge strides for driver safety, um, and you know there are always going to be crashes. It's always a high risk sport, um, but I don't I don't know if they need to make any substantial changes. I you know I love Travis. I don't like hearing, I just wanna watch it for the crashes. Um, because I think that kind of trivializes the integrity of the sport a bit. But I get, you know, they want to see the spectacle, they wanna see, you know, the parts flying all over the place. Uh but I just I don't think that there's a safety issue and I I think we're going to continue over the next five, ten years in racing to see the sport evolve. Uh, similar to the staging that uh, NASCAR has done. And we'll see kind of where they go from there, but I, I don't see any major uh, overhauls regarding safety.
0: And that's probably fair. I I don't think that it's necessarily high on the wish list, but it's definitely on the, on the list. Uh, let's go ahead and move over to the NFL, because we do love the NFL the most here at Brody Sports Talk. And... Just some quick hitter NFL news that you may not have heard. Uh, Redskins are bringing back Adrian Peterson for the 2020 season, which I'm sure, Sean, will be happy to see the Eagles players tackling him next year. Old man. Uh, and the Seahawks got Greg Olson. Uh, that'll be interesting. They definitely struggled at tight end this past year with a lot of injuries. They could use a lot of multiple tight end sets, uh, perhaps use Russell Wilson in a way similar to Lamar Jackson, depending on how they catch and block out there. Uh, It'll be interesting to see exactly what their intent is. But the big sports news of the week was yesterday when Drew Brees said that he was going to return to the New Orleans Saints. Uh, It means that we know a little bit about where one domino is going in the quarterback carousel. Uh, We already said last week Rivers is going to leave the Chargers. Uh, I wanted to get some of Sean's thoughts because Travis and I talked about quarterbacks last week on not necessarily what he thinks of where we said, but where he might envision people differently. So let's... I'll keep it concentrated around Drew Brees
1: and kind of the residual impact from, from that. Um, one of the destinations that I personally feel that Bridgewater is likely to go to that I don't believe was brought up last week um, is heading to your division. I think he's going to end up with the Chicago Bears. I think that the Trubisky... Uh, I don't want to say experiment, because it wasn't really an experiment, but I think the, that his tenure in Chicago is tenuous at best, um, and I think that they want to bring in some competition. Um, it's not like they have a really high draft pick. Um, I don't see them trying to make any super like, crazy, splashy moves with Bridgewater um, or, with, or with any other free agent. Uh, I think that it, they have the cap space. Right, They have the cap space. They're not going to pick up a rookie. Um, it just feels it feels right to me. It feels like something that um, I think Trubisky just ends up being a backup, and then nobody – we've seen what he has to offer, right? And there's going to be some fallout, and I don't think another team is going to rush to pick him up. Um, there is one other spot that I think feels – like a good potential landing spot for Bridgewater. I don't think you guys mentioned this either. Um, and I think it's him going to the, uh, going to the best coast, uh, heading to play for the chargers. They've moved on from rivers, Bridgewater's 27. Uh, he could easily serve as a stopgap in the event that he gets injured again, or it just doesn't pan out. Um, and they continue to struggle. And then with rivers gone, they have the cap space to break in Bridgewater. Um, I I feel like that's a another like really strong move for them to make. Assuming right, assuming they don't try to make some werewolf moves uh, in the draft and try to uh, try to snag a a quarterback of the future that way.
0: Absolutely, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, I have a tough time saying that he will go to Chicago and be a backup, because there are, there are reports saying that people are going to offer him $30 million or more this coming season. Um, they, we didn't have those reports last week, so it, it, it's tough. It's really tough to go, Who's, who wants to give Teddy that much money? I'm,
1: I mean, it's the other thing, too, is I, I know that injuries are really what forced him out of Minnesota, um, but he looked good. Right? playing for the Saints he looked good uh, he didn't look outstanding or spectacular you have to wonder if this is another situation um, where you have that backup quarterback coming in you know, shining in a polished offense where he's learned the scheme and he's been playing with these guys, playing behind one of the best and then he goes to another team and just doesn't really amount to much um I don't know, I know there's a lot of money in the quarterback position these days, uh, especially in free agency. It's it's tough, because I don't think the Bears really want to waste, you know, a, arguably, a good winning window on a Trubisky-led offense. So they're in a, um, a pretty high-pressure situation, I think. Um, the Vikings and Packers are both clearly better, right? Mm-hmm. I do they do they so much better? Yes. <laughs> do they do they want to finish third again? Right. Um, I don't. I don't know. I, I feel like they may need to make uh, some splashy moves in order to have a chance. It feels it feels like a move that uh, a high risk move. I think they're going to make.
0: Well, let's go ahead and let's go do a quick mock draft. Uh, The NFL Combine is coming up this week. We'll probably see some (laughs) people changing their mock drafts or doing their big boards a little bit differently. Uh, We picked beforehand, and you are taking the odds. I'm taking the evens. So with that being said, the Bengals are on the clock. Who are you taking? So this may
1: surprise you. I know everybody around everywhere is saying Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow, Joe Burrow. Right? Chase Young is an amazing, amazing prospect, and I think he is going to be a force in this league for many, many years to come. But yeah, Joe Burrow, I mean, come on. The the Bengals 100% need to have a franchise quarterback. This is somebody who had perhaps the best single season in college football history at the position. Somebody who's well-equipped to come in and, I think, really give the Bengals some identity that they haven't had in a very, very long time. Uh, yeah, 100%. They're taking Joe Burrow. I don't believe there's a hesitation. There's no flirtation with Chase Young. Um, it's, this is going to be the Burrow show in Cincinnati.
0: Uh, with that being said, we'll move over to the Washington Redskins. They have the second pick. Uh, I'm kind of glad Sean isn't picking for them because he might give them some scrub that should be in like the (laughs) 7th round Picking a kicker (laughs) (laughs) That being said uh, Chase Young is the the obvious pick here Uh, I wouldn't be surprised with all the quarterback discussion Uh, They got their guy last year in Dwayne Haskins You know, if the Lions want to take someone make sure you don't get traded in front of If the Dolphins or Chargers want someone move up to two Especially the Dolphins. They've got so much draft capital. If they want to move up to two, the Redskins are probably going to let them do it without charging a ton. But in this case, it is Chase Young, the defensive end out of Ohio State. All right. So
1: it is actually a very good point because the Lions are now on the clock. Um, I honestly think they look to trade this pick away. um, If the Chargers aren't making any moves for any free agent quarterbacks, um, I can see them trading up for Tua. Um, I don't think that Miami um, they're waning interest in Tua as a smokescreen. I think they are fully intending on taking him. Ideally, at number five, they don't have to make any moves. Um, if the Redskins take their or trade their way their pick, um, they're going to take. As I said, they'll be taking Chase Young, um, Jeff Okuda, uh, the quarter or a cornerback out of Ohio State, uh, Chase Young's teammate. Um, He's not a shutdown quarter, but he is tall, super athletic, very physical, has a high amount of upside, um, deceptive speed given his frame. Uh, I think that if the Lions are able to take their pick here and don't end up trying to get some additional capital later in the draft, uh, Okuda is going to be their pick. Uh,
0: The New York Giants are on the clock, and they could not be happier with how this draft has fallen because... They probably wouldn't mind another quarterback, you know. Maybe get some help on the defense because the top pass rusher and the top corner are off. That being said, there's been an area of weakness for the Giants for about the last entire Eli Manning era. And we talking about O line. We're talking about O line. Talking about O line. We're gonna go with Andrew Thomas, the offensive tackle from the University of Georgia. He. He's a beast. I think that he's definitely someone that the Giants would love to see there. And we know that Dave Gettleman's not afraid to draft someone ahead of where they should. So, uh, Andrew Thomas is the picket for. Uh, dolphins are on the clock. All right.
1: So, um, two is here, and nobody traded up. Dolphins are taking him. So, because in our mock draft, nobody has traded up. Uh, Tua is going to be the pick, um, now I, I think that should them, they have, somebody have traded up ahead of the Dolphins, right? Um, I think that they're going to also be looking at O-line. Uh, with Thomas off the board, I think they're going to still stay in the SEC, I think Dredrick Wills would potentially be their pick here, um, but because Tua is still on the board, uh, I think they're looking for, um, for him to be their franchise guy and that's who they're grabbing here.
0: Uh, but we're saying Tua, for sure. Oh, Tua,
1: yeah. Okay. In our mock draft, Tua is who, <laughs> is who is being picked here. I just wanted to, to give some, some perspective to, I, I still think there's gonna be a lot of trading um, in this draft, and so there's gonna be some shifting around, but uh, Tua is on, the, is on the board still, they're
0: grabbing him. Uh, the Chargers are gonna quack me up with this next pick. I have them take <laughs> I have them take Justin Herbert, the quarterback from the University of Oregon Ducks. Uh sorry, that was such a bad <laughs> pun. Uh but I couldn't help it. Um They have to get a quarterback. They've had a franchise quarterback for decade and a half. I mean uh, Breeze one of the Saints in 06, so yeah, decade and a half. Uh they gotta have another one. Mm-hmm. Herbert, young Talented, all the skills, you know, maybe get some hype as they go into another stadium. West Coast I guy. think they might try to, you know, get a year of Brady or someone if they can get them out there, and then, I mean, who would you rather have a first-round quarterback learn from than a great all-time quarterback? That's true. So, t- you take Herbert, regardless, in my opinion, of what happens in free agency, unless you can like you said trade up for Tua, uh, whatever happens there. I think if there's a trade up, that part that team is going to be paying a a lot in draft capital because I, of the competition. I absolutely agree.
1: All right, so so Carolina. Um, I mean, I I think that they need a uh, they need a replacement for a certain linebacker who decided to uh, call it quits uh, a little early. Um, so I feel like they're going to go through and grab Isaiah Simmons um, out of Clemson. Super physical, he kind of defined Clemson's defense while he was there. Um, if for any reason he's off the board, right? And so I can see potentially, um, you know, maybe even the, the Giants who decide not to go O-line and decide to shore up some of their defensive woes could potentially take him. Uh, I could see maybe them grabbing Derek Brown to kind of bolster the the defensive line. Um, but because Isaiah Simmons is still there, they are grabbing him, and I think they make some moves for, um, for Cam Newton to try to ship him off, um, or let him basically go, so I don't think they're going to try to grab a quarterback here, especially with the three arguably best ones now off the board. So now the Cardinals are on the clock. Did that change up anything for you?
0: No, I, I have the Cardinals on the offensive side of the ball again. Uh it's really tough because I I see two distinct positions here. Uh receiver. Give Kyler Murray that that target for the rest of his career. Uh Larry Fitzgerald is only gonna be around for so much longer. You know, if you can get a receiver to learn from Larry the legend at this point. To steal a nickname? Uh, why I mean, not?
1: He shows that Fitz magic. Oh wait, that's also taken.
0: Ah, uh, so uh, it's it's tough because the other option is an O lineman. While I think an O lineman might be the more sound choice, I'm gonna have a little bit of a reunion here as I'm gonna have C.D. Lamb go to the Arizona Cardinals at eight.
1: Yep, yeah. Right, the jaguars are on the clock. Jaguars are on the clock now. I think it's funny. I think the Jags are actually in a very similar boat to Carolina. Not fitting that they came into the league together. Um, I actually see them taking on the defensive side whoever the Panthers decided not to take. Um, so I can see them going again, going D line, bringing in Derek Brown um, out of Auburn. Now. There's a, a good chance, potentially, right? Especially with all the shifting around and um, players being uh, taken that otherwise uh, you know teams would like to grab early, um, that both Simmons and Brown could be off the board. Um, they may take the value pick here um, in Javon Kinlaw out of uh, South Carolina, um, still trying to keep it, keep you know shore up some of their defensive woes. Uh, I think that offensively they're not as stunted as people might think. And they really need to shore up uh, a defense that oftentimes let them get behind early, quickly. So I think that
0: we're going to say Derek Brown out of Auburn is who Jacksonville is picking. I'm going to make this simple for Cleveland build your line, Jedrick Wills Jr. Jets are on the
1: clock. All right. Actually, I had the Jets taking Jedrick Wills here. Uh, So now that he's off the board, I think they go through and they look at the next best O-line because the Jets ranked near last in the NFL in both pass and run blocking last year. Darnold needs somebody in front of him to make sure he has time to throw the ball Um, or to at least make sure that their offense is balanced enough to where he doesn't have to throw the ball, you know, 35-plus times a game. Um, so the next two best offensive tackles here are going to be Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa or Mackai Becton out of Louisville. I think they go with the big mid- Midwestern man, Tristan Wirfs, um, out of Iowa, shore up some of those um, some of those woes on the O line, get Darnold some protection, and you know hope that he pans out. That's a it's a lot of O linemen being taken in the top ten, but you know what, you know offenses is necessary to win in this league, you have to be able to consistently produce. Because if you don't, you know your other team that you're going against is going to be able to put points on the board. Um, if they are a a high-flying offense, so, yeah, I can see them. Tristan Wirfs, Iowa.
0: I have the Oakland Raiders with the 12th pick, and that's as far as we're going. We're just doing the 12th picks here in the mock draft today. And... They're going to Vegas. The motto is just win, baby. I'm gonna take a guy that's been a winner. And a guy that you might be able to say this to. Hey, Jude. I'm going with Jerry Judy, the receiver from the Alabama Crimson Tide. Um I'll be honest, it was almost it was between him and CeeDee for the Cardinals. Jerry Judy is a if if CeeDee Lamb is one A. Which some people would debate that. Mm-hmm. Jerry Judy is definitely a one B. No, oh, I agree. Um, when I look it up, based off of Pro Football Focus right now, they have C.D. Lamb as the fifth overall prospect and Jerry Judy as the sixth overall prospect, neck and neck. The Raiders uh, tried to get a receiver last year in <laughs> a trade. You might have heard of him. His name was Antonio Brown. Who? Uh-huh. It, it did not work out well as he did not have any catches for any yards. And did not wear any helmets for the Raiders in the regular season. Uh, he played one game for the Patriots and had a touchdown. Uh, but he he appears so to crazy. he is currently out of football. And the Raiders want someone to be able to come in and play and, football and play football. <laughs> hey, we actually need a guy who's going to you know suit up, uh, wear the helmet, and uh, and catch a football or two. And let's face it. Where do you get guys from who just care about winning football games? Alabama, because there's nothing else exciting about that school. No, not at all. (laughs) Not at all. That being said, let's move over to 300 seconds of soccer with Sean. My favorite part. All right, guys, I
1: have a lot to say. I'll try to say it all within 300 seconds. So... The biggest story in the Premier League and in European football overall is the banning of Manchester City from European competition, uh, specifically including the Champions League, for two years. Now, these sanctions come three months after City failed to have a UFA investigation into their financial activities thrown out. Now, this all started when Spiegel International... A German publication ran a series of articles claiming that City was skirting financial fair play regulations through their financial group. Uh, maybe on a future 300 seconds of soccer, I can explain financial fair play. Um, now, City's owner um, actually rounded money to City sponsors in Abu Dhabi and then funneled the money right back in the city as sponsorship money. So, after investigation. Um, the uh, league seems to think that the evidence is sound and has made their decision appropriately. Now as expected, city has denied the claims and is in the process of fighting all of this. I don't think they'll be successful. city has been found guilty of falsely inflating sponsorship money as submissions uh, for financial fair play and breaching regulations to cooperate with the investigation. Um, now uh, UFA doesn't really act this way unless they think something like this is irrefutable and will stick. And I think the fallout will hit European football hard over the next few years as players like Kevin De Bruyne and Leroy Sané look to secure Champions League football elsewhere. Now, the big mover could be Pep, possibly to Juventus, as he looks to make the same kind of mark in Serie A as he has in La Liga, Bundesliga, and the Premier League. <clears throat> so let's talk about some of the matches, Premier League matches over the weekend and yesterday. Leicester had an ugly nil-nil draw with Wolves and are lucky to escape with a point. Wolves had an early goal taken away via VAR, and Leicester went down to 10 men at the 76th minute. Burnley won back-to-back away matches for the first time this season and took the win against Southampton. Mane had a late winner for Liverpool against Norwich, an otherwise dull affair. Uh, Son had a brace, including a beautiful extra-time winner against Aston Villa after an Ingles mistake, dashing into the box and placing a shot into the far right corner. Now, Spurs have their third win in the Premier League for the first time since February of last year. And they are now only a point off Chelsea for fourth. It's very impressive turnaround for them. Speaking of Chelsea, Monday's match at Stamford was an absolute travesty. I have no love lost for the Blues, but I can say safely that it, they got robbed multiple ways. Two disallowed VAR goals for them. A limping and injured Conte, we don't know, I don't think we know to the full extent of the injury yet, and United's Harry Maguire somehow escaped getting a red after uh, placing his studs right into Williams' groin, uh, for a, a, a nice way to put it, basically. Um, the Blues have looked out of form and are missing a consistent striking presence. They look to have, honestly, they don't have any heart, they don't have any backbone. This is not the Chelsea that we remember, and I don't think Frankie Lampard really is to blame here. The Blues need to clean some house this summer, and we're gonna see what moves they make as we get closer and closer to the end of the season. Now, let's close this talking about my squad, Arsenal. Uh, The Gunners had a brilliant match at home against Newcastle, winning 4-0 with goals from Aubameyang, Pepe, Ozil, and Lacazette after a rather pedestrian first half. Uh, We've had a fantastic performance uh, out of Dani Ceballos um, in the midfield that game. Uh, I think Arteta had shelved um, Ceballos after some poor play and poor attitude in training. It's clear that the adjustment worked. This is so contrary to the way that Emery handled some of the players who showed poor attitudes. Um and Mustafi helped Leno keep a clean sheet for consecutive weeks. We now have a positive goal differential. Oh God, I feel so good to say that. Um, I would have loved to have seen us break into the score sheet in the first half, um, but Newcastle parked the bus. Uh, We squandered some of our early possessions, uh, and that kind of led to a nil-nil ending in the first half. Uh, Arteta has us in the right direction. Uh, I genuinely believe that. I know a lot of gunners have um, really felt that, you know, with Emery leaving the squad in such a poor condition, that it would take a while to right the ship and get us some positive results probably taking a little longer than we would have liked, but it's very clear we are trending in a positive direction. Now, tomorrow has us traveling to Greece for our opening leg against Olympiacos. We have a tough, tough back half of the year in the Premier League. I think winning the Europa League is the only way we make Champions League next year. So, I'm hoping that we manage to either secure a tie here, take it back to the Emirates for a win, or... You know, we can bag the win in Greece. And that is 300 seconds of soccer.
0: Of course, Arsenal is playing my team this week. Everton, Mm. I need the Toffees to continue their winning ways and try Mm. to get back on the positive side of goal differential themselves. I mean, you guys are ahead of us right now in the league, so... Just one spot.
1: Just one spot. One spot,
0: but we're currently ahead. Uh, this day in sports history, today is February 19th if you are listening today, kudos to you for being right when this is fresh <laughs> in the airwaves. Uh, this day in 1965, the NFL added a line judge.
1: You know who you can blame? Fran Tarkenton. Honestly, the right around that era was when spread formation started becoming popular. Um, it made sense to bring in a line judge. The back judge had to handle all his, you know, essentially regular refereeing requirements in addition to keeping time, um, which is something of course the NFL has kind of done away with, with having the back judge keep time. Um, but there was just so much going on at the line of scrimmage, um, with the changes in formations. Yeah. Line judge was necessary and obviously, you know, they're still there. They're still doing their thing at the line of scrimmage. And, uh, yeah, absolutely necessary.
0: And now to only jump back 25 years, Woo! Sterling Marlin won the Daytona 500. Magic Sterling Marlin. And it was his back-to-back win. We talked about it with Denny earlier on the, I won't say podcast, or I want to say broadcast, but this is a podcast. Uh, <laughs> and he was the third driver to achieve back-to-back. The other two, of course, are uh, Richard Petty. I almost and? said Kyle Petty I know right oh. absolutely not <laughs> and Cale Yarborough. yep yeah so that's a pretty <laughs> exclusive class uh, it's true Richard Petty Cale Yarborough, Sterling Marlin and Denny Hamlin Daytona Denny and Sterling Marlin uh, he drove that bright yellow Kodak car and it makes me feel very mid 90's to say <laughs> that Kodak was uh, sponsoring a NASCAR then uh, I feel like that was somewhat innovative of them Oh, if only they had been innovative in, in other industries. Yeah, I always thought Sterling Marlin got a lot of hate um, around
1: the circuit. I mean, I know that a lot of NASCAR purists dislike him because of his driving style and specifically what happened with Earnhardt, which you know obviously was not Sterling Marlin's fault. Um, he's just never been the most liked driver on the circuit. Uh, I always thought he just got a lot of unnecessary flack for just his approach to driving. Um, but yeah, good old good old bright yellow Kodak. You know, actually I have, because I used to in my youth collect um, like toy cars and I still have a bunch of them in a box. Um, actually they're in my daughter's room now and one of them is Sterling Marlin's bright yellow Kodak car. It's, uh, it's a little bit more beat up now, uh, that it's 2020 as opposed to when i probably had it uh in like 96 or 97.
0: to be fair if you've been driving a car for 23 years it would probably be a little bit beat up as well you got that um that being said we're going to turn our attention to some college hoops uh, we've got two conferences to look at today we're going to start with the pac-12 pac-12 has been very close at the top this year currently i have it as a four-team race with teams that are all equal in the loss column. Uh, Colorado, Oregon, Arizona, Arizona State. If if the tournament ended today and Joe Lunardi was picking the teams, those four are in and USC is also in as one of the last four in. Ooh. Uh, Stanford is currently in the fifth spot out. So a lot of potential. You, Pac 12 has not had some of their best years the last few mm-hmm. years. Uh, we've seen like two or three teams in the tournament. So if they're back up to five, that is a good sign for hoops on the West Coast. Uh, do you have any thoughts <clears throat> about these teams or how so, they're going to do? So, I mean, let's talk about
1: Colorado first. I mean, the loss to Oregon hurt, um, but it didn't hurt too much. Uh, they have arguably the easiest remaining games out of any of these four teams. Um, home against USC and UCLA, and a road against Cal, Stanford, and Utah. All their road games are against bottom-half um, teams. Now, the problem is if Arizona wins out, right, I mean, Buffalo's could still lose out on the Pac-10 regular season title. Um, I think they may be coming in at a five-seed uh, heading, uh, heading into March. Um, Oregon, right, they're, I mean, what technically right now, the top dog um, in the Pac-12, um, but they've been beatable. They've struggled at times with consistency. They had back-to-back double-digit losses against Stanford and Oregon State. That doesn't bode well, I think, for their longevity heading into March. Um, they got road games coming up against Arizona State and Arizona. Uh, much, much tougher schedule than Colorado. Uh, I think they may go cold on the three uh, during one of those games and drop um, potentially one or both of their games heading in Arizona. Um, I actually want to say Arizona is my favorite to go ahead and take... Um, the the uh, regular season title here. Four of their six remaining games are at home. Arizona is going to be favored in every remaining game they have this year. According to both Ken Palm and Net, they are the best team in statistically in the Pac-12. Um, they'll end up finishing, I think, right, assuming they win all six games, uh, 24 and seven, on top of the Pac-12. Um, I would say a, even if they drop a game, succeed at the lowest. Um, Possibly moving up to a four, uh, especially if um, we see slip ups out of Oregon and Colorado. I don't think Arizona State's worth mentioning. Um, Yeah, they're on a good streak. They've won seven of their their last eight. They have a lot of veteran leadership, Um, but a lot of their games have been super, super close. Right, super close. That's luck, right? That's playing with house money. Um, I think they're they probably drop. uh, the game to Oregon, right? I think Oregon is going one one heading in Arizona, uh, or I, from their trip to Arizona, and I just don't think Arizona State really um, maintains this uh, this good run heading into the remaining parts of this uh, of this month in the beginning of March. Those are my thoughts, right? A lot yeah. of them, but those are my thoughts.
0: I think that it's tough because I think that. You never know what to expect with college basketball. It's always very interesting. Um, personally, uh, I went to the Tulsa Regional last year, and I was able to see Arizona State in person. Uh, Remy Martin and the now uh, infamous player for the Oklahoma City Thunder, Lou Dort, were on that squad. Uh, Remy Martin is tearing it up this year, getting almost you know just under 20 points per game. They also only have four games left, or four games at home, two on the road. They, they basically looked like they scheduled things based off of, oh, let's put these two teams here this weekend and these two teams here. <laughs> uh, like the Oregon teams are going to Arizona this weekend. So that's why I think Oregon has a tough test because they get Arizona and Arizona State yeah. this weekend. Um, and I don't know that it's easy to say that they'll take one or any of those games. Um, but then there's the Arizona teams go to... Los Angeles for UCLA and USC, and then they go back home and face the Washington teams. I think it's going to be neck and neck between the two of them because anything can happen. I will say the thing that worries me a little bit about Arizona, their best player Zeke Naji. He's a freshman. Freshmen have been great, so I could be wrong, but I, I always wonder a little bit how they're going to hold up in a race at the season when they know what is on the line
1: and and I agree with you there I think that you know especially for these young guys um pressure mounts and they've never dealt with it before right The, the pressure of having a deep run in high school playoffs is way different than something like this but it's still the regular season right it's still the regular season and I think that you know all four of these squads are going to you know have a good presence come March um so there may not be as much pressure this month as there would be next month. So I don't know if that's gonna be as big of an issue now, but come March, you know, we'll,
0: we'll see if the tune changes. Uh, we'll go ahead and move over to the Southern Conference. And for those of you who are like, why are you guys talking about the Southern Conference? Uh, you might remember a team that was in the tournament last year that uh, I personally really enjoyed watching them play called the Wofford Terriers. Uh, they were dynamic. They hit the three. They were one of the more fun, uh, I guess you could call them a mini Cinderella, in the tournament last year. This year, they're not even close to the division. They're 8-6, and 16-11 six, uh, overall. They've actually lost their last three games. Yes, they have. This year, it's all about some of the teams they beat in the tournament because Wofford okay. was not the best team in the regular season last year. Uh, it, it looks like it's probably a two-team race between the East Tennessee State Buccaneers and the Furman Paladins. They both are 12-2 and two in conference, and they're playing each other tonight. Yes, they are. Which is super exciting. Um, do you have any thoughts about who you think takes that game and probably uh, goes in the driver's seat for the division?
1: So I think that... The Buccaneers are going to be the uh, the winner overall, not just tonight. But I think they're going to take the take the conference. Um, I mean, tonight's game against the Paladins of Johnson City that's the de facto regular season title game, right? Um, they play back to back away games against Sanford and Wofford to kind of close everything out. The latter is on a three game skid, and then Sanford's like ten games back from five hundred. So I think that. With this win tonight, the Buccaneers kind of hold steady, and they end up taking the conference. Furman, right, they have to win on the road. If they do, um, you know, great. They've won seven straight since they dropped, I think, a 14-point loss to Wofford back uh, sometime last month. They could, you know, this is a three-point happy team that if they make it, um, you know, into, into the big dance, you know, they're going to be a tough opponent for anybody, especially early rounds, because you know three-point happy teams are feast or famine. And if they start feasting, right, they could, they could square an upset. Uh, I think the only other team that we were going to chat about was um, UNC Greensboro. I uh, mean, they're a BPI top 70 team, right? Um, but the problem is East Tennessee State did the double over them this year. Um, Spartans may take a home game against Furman, um, and if, they, if the Bucks end up for some reason slipping up, uh, some time late against in Sanford or Wofford, or you know, managed to lose tonight to Furman. Um, you know, Greensboro could sneak in, but I think they're going to ultimately be on the outside looking in. Um, you know, that, that double over him really kind of kind of hurt a lot, and they would need some some moves to happen in order for them to to back the title.
0: And it, it's interesting, you never know what's going to happen. Furman did beat East Tennessee State earlier in the year and they had the loss to UNC Greensboro. So if they Furman can somehow beat East Tennessee and UNC <coughs> Greensboro beats Furman, all of a sudden we have a three-way tie. Three-way ties are messy. It's true. You know, so funny thing, uh, so East
1: Tennessee State is in Johnson City, Tennessee. Um, I, for um, a, a, about a year and a half, close to two years, lived in Bristol. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with East Tennessee, but Bristol, um, like Johnson City, Kingsport—they're all like right in, um, like this. They're called the Tri City area, and uh, so I actually took a couple of um, like academic tests in Johnson City. Um, so I am I am super familiar with that region, and uh, Johnson City is a beautiful, beautiful place. Like East Tennessee is gorgeous overall. So anybody who's listening, uh, if you're in East Tennessee. Uh, I love you. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, if you're not in East Tennessee or you've never visited, please, please, you know, gather your family, your friends, make a trip to the Smoky Mountains, uh, go to Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, uh, go, and, go and see the sights, especially go in the fall. Uh, beautiful, beautiful place. Cannot endorse it, uh, you know, highly enough. Dollywood. Oh my God, go to Dollywood. Dollywood is amazing. Dolly Parton is a fantastic human being. Uh, Please do yourself a favor, and pencil in that trip on your calendar. Uh,
0: I I do think Furman has a chance tonight. Uh, it it definitely is interesting to see what is happening. I think that this conference is underrated. I know uh, when I looked at bracketology recently, they had Furman and East Tennessee in. So anytime you get a mid major like that, that could. Potentially get both of them in, that's huge. Um, I do want to say this section is brought to you by the Tennessee Tourism <laughs> Council. Um, not, not officially, but uh, if, you First sponsor, sponsor of if, if, if you do want to sponsor the podcast. If you do want to sponsor us, please give us a call. Uh, shoot us a message on Twitter. We'll be happy to, to, to make something work. Uh, that being said, that is what we've got for the show today. I do want to thank you all for listening. Uh, again, my name's Caleb. He's Sean. Uh, this is Brody Sports Talk. Y'all have a great day. Take care.